It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Time for the Daily Assist, brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Cold weather is here. Is your home's heating system ready? Lee's Heating and Air is now offering their winter furnace checkup for only 59 bucks. Call Lee's Heating and Air today, 801-747-LEES, or online at leesheatac.com. Joining us on the Sprint special guest line from Sports Illustrated, of course, he's our friend Chris Mannix. Hi, Chris. Happy Monday. How are you? What's going on, guys? Hey, uh, we're doing great. We were just talking, uh, Gordon and I were talking off the air about this jazz season, and it's been so feast or famine. I haven't really covered a season like it. Uh, what does that say about a team, do you think, that they rattle off a bunch of wins in a row and then they're capable of losing a bunch of games in a row as well? Well, it, it certainly isn't great. I mean, you more than anything else, you'd want consistency in the way you're playing. At the same time, there's there's certainly a level of expectation to that when you have – you know, a brand new player in Mike Conley, you're adding to the mix. Um, you're playing a different brand of front court basketball with Derek Favors gone and playing a little bit smaller than you've used to playing in recent years. So I think that part of it is understandable. I think it's encouraging, especially when it comes to the play of Mike Conley, what we've seen over the last week to 10 days. Uh, he seems by and large to be, uh, you know, playing a lot better. And hopefully that's a harbinger of, of things to come. Chris, I don't know if you were gallivanting around the uh, the league uh, or if you saw that Jazz-Celtics game. Uh, the Jazz are on this upward swing right now, like Jake was talking about. They seem Mike Conley leading that way, and they're getting good bench play. Uh, they, they seem to be, I don't know, Chris, I sit there and I watch this team, and one second I think they're great, the next second I think they stink. Yeah, I mean, I, I was at the Celtics-Jazz game the other night and, you know, watching Conley play and talking to him a little bit before the game, it certainly, you know, sounds like and looks like he's starting to play a lot better. And I think these final, you know, this final month-plus of the season will reveal a lot about the Jazz's chances to, to succeed in the playoffs. I mean, if they can maintain, you know, this level of consistency that we've seen uh, for the most part, I think that, you know, they still can meet the expectations so many of us had for this team coming into the season. Conley continues to play on this upward trajectory. Uh, you know, he can still be that guy. It's just if we start to once again see in the next couple of weeks a downward slide and Conley struggling once again and looking like he's having a hard time uh, fitting in, then, uh, you know, they still remain a team given where they're kind of seated right now that we could see bow out in that first round. So, you know, a lot's going to be learned about this Jazz team over the next month. What do you think, Chris, about the way the Jazz use Rudy Gobert? They they like to get the ball to him around the rim. Have you seen progress in him uh, at the offensive end? A little bit. Um, you know, there's still, I think, some issues getting him the ball at times and, and you know, making the right entry pass into him. But, I, you know, look, I, I still I, I do see some improvements, at least in the games that I've seen, including the one uh, against Boston. He's such a big target down there that you want to – get him going and engage him offensively, if for no other reason than it keeps him engaged defensively. Any coach in the league will tell you that, you know, the best way to get a defensive big man like Gobert or anybody uh, at their best defensively is to get them involved more and more offensively. So I think if you play through him a little bit, you have your chance to 
to get him going. And, you know, if you invariably have to double-team him, you know, get some guys going offensively on the outside. So, yeah, I think that's going to be a big part of what they do offensively. Chris, uh, you being at that Celtics game, that was a that was kind of a funny game in a sense that the Jazz bench was just awesome and and led the way uh, to that victory. And I know back at the beginning of the season, we talked to you about a, what a weakness the Jazz bench was. How uh, it how uh, I guess was it watching the bench play in person because they were just terrific that night. Yeah, they look really good on on both ends of the floor. I mean, the caveat is the Celtics were were just beat up all over the place. I mean, no Jalen Brown, no Gordon Hayward took away a lot of what they were able to do. But watching some of those guys, Royce O'Neal and others, come off the bench and play good, uh, play well at both ends of the floor uh, was really encouraging. And we, we've talked about this a number of times uh, over the last few months. I mean, the, the Jazz's best hope has always been internal improvements and always been the second unit guys stepping up and giving them more on both ends of the floor. Mike Conley giving them more on both ends of the floor. Getting comfortable with that power forward spot uh, more consistently. So it, it definitely was good to see. I mean, uh, look, it, it comes back to the same, you know, talking point that we had just a few minutes ago. I mean, that you know, this is a team that you know, if they, if they can keep playing this way over the next month, you can still believe in them as a potential conference finalist. They have enough talent to beat any of the teams in the Western Conference. All right, Chris, are the Lakers better than the Clippers? They beat them. Uh, uh, are, they, are they really better, or have you uh, formed any opinion regarding that? Well, they're better right now. I mean, but again, there's, there's a long way to go in this season, a long way to go probably until they meet uh, in the postseason. So I'm very curious to see how the Clippers' new additions, you know, Marcus Morris, Reggie Jackson, even Joakim Noah, if they provide – uh, a substantial impact on that team. I did think it was noteworthy watching that Laker Clipper game. You know just how you know regularly the Lakers attacked Lou Williams when he was out there on the floor. It was a lot. In a lot of ways, it was how you know LeBron used to treat Steph Curry, getting switches on him and attacking him in the way that he did in all those finals. So you know there's some adjustments the Clippers have to make. The Lakers, you know, they're playing great basketball right now. LeBron has reinjected himself into the MVP conversation with the way he's played and wins over Milwaukee and the Clippers. But I still look at, at the Clippers as being a, a formidable team, you know, come playoffs. If for no other reason, Kawhi has been a great postseason performer. They've got great depth on that team. They can switch almost everything defensively. They've got all the ingredients to win a championship this year. Chris Mannix is with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Chris, the Rockets have hit a skid where they've lost four consecutive games and losses in there to the Magic, the Hornets, and the Knicks, which is just crazy. Is this just a team that relies so much on shooting that some nights they're just not going to make them, or has something been figured out with this uh, Rockets experiment and how to stop it? Oh, it's two things. One, the, the shooting is the first part of it. I mean, they live by the three, they die by the three, the jump shot all those things, and when that's not going as it hasn't been for the last week, things fall apart very quickly offensively. On the defensive side, it's a lot to ask to have P.J. Tucker giving you 30, 35 minutes at center You know, when he's six foot six, I mean, he can be very good offensively. He can set screens. He can even give you serviceable minutes uh, on the post against bigger defenders, but it, it's just a lot to ask him to go up against guys that big every single time and every single game for that amount of time. And, you know, look, we all kind of thought that, you know, the Rockets, their success early on, some of that might be through smoke and mirrors. A lot of smart NBA people suggest that the Rockets couldn't sustain this in the postseason when teams 
really start to understand how they were going to play. Uh, and I think that's kind of borne out a little bit. And, you know, it, it's I don't want to get too, you know, to overreact too much to something happening in early March, but this is not a team that is, is clearly built conventionally. And if you're going to, to play Tucker and play Westbrook at big positions, you're going to get exploited. And there are a lot of big teams in the Western Conference, beginning with Utah, that's going to be able to pound them into submission with some of those big men on the inside. So I think there are – it's red alert time in Houston with some of the uh, – the, with the way they play. Chris, the Jazz have won five straight. Uh, the Raptors have won three straight. They meet tonight here in Salt Lake City. What are the Jazz in for? I mean, the Raptors have played great from start to finish. And, you know, Siakam to me, you know, before the injuries – emerged as an MVP candidate. I think Kyle Lowry's having an incredible season uh, with them, and they beat you up on that front line. I mean, this is this is the kind of game where you're going to have to compete physically with them every single possession because they get after you, not just with Gasol and Ibaka, but Siakam is is a physical guy. Lowry's a physical guy. Uh, Van Vliet has is, is been tremendous for them all season long. So, I mean, they're, they're tough. They're really tough. I mean, I think the the biggest uh, affirmation that the, the Raptors got at midseason was the, that Masai Ujiri didn't trade away any of their expiring contracts. He certainly could have gotten, say, a first-round pick for Marcus Gasol or Ibaka. They kept them because they believed they could make a run in the Eastern Conference, and, and you have to have size to match up with Milwaukee in the postseason. So uh, they're, you know, they're a very, very tough team, and, and a team that uh, I mean clearly believes that they're as good as they were last year. Chris Mannix is with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, Chris, there's been some reporting in the last hour uh, about the NBA reacting to the coronavirus. And uh, the NBA, they're uh, going to close the locker rooms. Uh, they're going to make post, uh, post-game media. They're going to have a six- to eight-foot distance between players and, and media. And in addition to that, uh, the league has told teams that uh, you know to plan on maybe some extreme circumstances like not having fans in the arena during a game. What do you I, – I get it – what do you think about these uh, reactions to what's going on? Yeah, I've talked to a number of people in the league office in the last 24 hours, and you know they are trying to prepare uh, teams for every possible scenario, including uh, the nuclear scenario of playing in front of no fans. And look, I, I do think we're trending in that direction. If you're that concerned about 20 or 30 people being in a locker room space, you're going to be concerned about 18,000 people in a building, you know, crammed on top of, of an NBA game. So I think we are trending in that direction. I do think that from what I, I've been told, what happened at Indian Wells with that event being canceled, uh, that really spooked some people in the league office and got them kind of into gear that sort of set a lot of this in motion. And I think what they're hearing from NBA owners and front office types is that, uh, you know, ownership would be open to the idea of, playing in front of no fans because they don't want to be the first team or the only team where somebody contracts the virus at their arena and the effect that could have uh, on that that team and that building moving forward so i think that you're going to see some 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 really extreme measures being taken not just by the nba but sports leagues in general the nhl maybe major league baseball as well as they try to combat this and get through these these incredibly tough times so i i do think we're I do think it's very possible, even likely at this point, that we either see canceled games or games played in empty stadiums. 
Now, Chris, uh, a veteran like you have been covering the league for a long time. You know, you're in that locker room. You're talking to these guys. You know what that's like. I don't know very many reporters who love being in the locker room, but many of them are in a hurry because of print deadlines and other things. I wonder if this is uh, implemented the way it's been reported it will be. I wonder if it'll ever go back to the way it was. Yeah, I mean, look, that's a a genuine concern that – you know, people at the Basketball Writers Association have, have brought up. And, you know, the NBA, you know, and that's the only league I can speak for, has never suggested that th- that would be the case. And, and look, as as a writer, I understand you lose access. That's difficult. It, it prevents you from doing the type of stuff that you want to do on a regular basis. But at the same time, we have a problem with practicing an abundance of caution in situations like this. I mean, being overly cautious, I think, is better than being not cautious enough in these situations. So if it causes some problems reporting and, and working on your, your craft over the next month or even the rest of the season, I, I can live with that. If it means that, that you know, there isn't any, any kind of outbreak or any kind of a link to the NBA, as long as it comes back next year, um, which I have not heard anything to suggest that it wouldn't. Chris Mannix is with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Chris, Brooklyn, uh, the Nets, they're in the playoff picture. They're in the seventh seed if the playoffs were to start today, and yet they just fired their coach. What What's going on in Brooklyn? Yeah, I, I mean, look, this this is – I don't believe this is a case of, as was suggested by Sean Marks, Kenny Atkinson walking into his office and saying, my voice is no longer being heard. That, that just doesn't make any sense to me on any level. Um, and I know it's easy to kind of point the finger at Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. I don't have any evidence or I haven't talked to anybody that specifically said that Kyrie didn't want to play for Kenny Atkinson or Kevin Durant didn't want to play for Kenny Atkinson. What you can be sure of is that if Kyrie and Kevin had fought for Kenny Atkinson, that he would still be there. And that's that I think has to be taken into account with all this. I mean, Kenny, I just don't know how you give up on a guy less than a year after giving him a multi-year contract extension. That's what the Nets did just last April. And how you can determine that this coach who took you from 20 wins to 42 and back into the playoffs for the first time in years is not the right coach to coach Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving without ever having coached the two of them together, I just don't understand that. So uh, all that being said, I understand that change can be good. I mean, Nick Nurse played a vital role in the, the Raptors' success last year in winning a championship. So change can be the right decision. But right now the pressure is all on Sean Marks and that front office to find the right guy. And if that coach fails next year or it doesn't find chemistry with that team, it could lead to some real ugliness in Brooklyn over the firing of Kenny Atkinson. I don't know if any of this is going to matter because whoever gets the eighth spot in the West is going to face probably the Lakers in the first round. But do you think the Grizzlies can hold on to that position or do you think the Pelicans, Kings, or Blazers will catch them? What do you think? Yeah, look, it's a good dogfight. Um, I had favored Memphis for a while, but then they started getting nicked up with some injuries and, and, and that opened the door for other teams out there. I think the league would love to see the Pelicans in that spot. I mean, 1-8 matchups are traditionally just unwatchable events. You put Zion against LeBron for even four games, and that's a ratings bonanza for the league. I mean, I don't, I don't really have a good read on who's going to get it. it. It's pretty close amongst those teams that you mentioned. Um, the Pelicans have certainly been playing better basketball since Zion became part of that mix. So I think it's going to be come right down to the very end of the season, some of these individual matchups uh, that are left over that could potentially be tiebreakers. So, uh, yeah, I can only tell you what I think the league wants, and that's the, the Pelicans in that eight spot. 
If the playoffs were to start today, the Jazz would face the Thunder in the first round. Uh, I, I wonder about the Thunder. That's not a team I expected to be as good as they are. They've won 8 of 10. And, uh, Chris, a shout-out to that team all the way around. Maybe maybe Chris Ball deserves some credit. Oh, he deserves a lot of credit. I saw them play as well in Boston just yesterday. And, you know, they are. I, I think it's like 17-5 and five since December on the road. I mean, that a team that's great on the road is not someone you want to play in the playoffs because that, that makes them just – very likely to be able to steal one of those games or two or one of those games on an opponent's home floor. I mean, they they knew coming into this season they weren't going to be bad enough to tank, but everything has broken right for that team. Gallinari's been a great scorer. Chris Paul has not only been the Chris Paul we're used to seeing, but he's also been someone, as Billy Donovan told me, who has been invested in those younger guys, has really worked with the Shea Gildas-Alexanders and and the Dorts, the Tony Dorts of the world that have turned them in, helped turn them into really good players. And, you know, Gildas Alexander has been awesome. Like, he, he was the centerpiece of that deal that, that sent Paul George to L.A., and he has been, you know, every bit the, the potential star that we thought he was going to be. So I'm really impressed with what I've seen from Oklahoma City and the mental toughness they show. I mean, I think they're the best team in the league at making fourth-quarter comebacks. Chris Paul is the most clutch player in the NBA when it comes to scoring points. I'm with you. I'd much rather play a Houston or somebody else in the first round than face Oklahoma City. Chris, as always, thank you very much. We'll catch you next week. You got it, guys. Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated, your NBA Daily Assist. How freaked out are you over the coronavirus thing as it pertains to large crowds watching games? I mean, yeah, what do you think? Is this an overreaction? Do you think caution is warranted? What's your thought? Um, I think uh, there's some coverage and some things out there that uh, the that's an overreaction. That said, however, I can't blame anybody for making plans. I mean, if the NBA is making plans just in case this thing goes, you know, from bad to worse or or something like that, you know, you want to be prepared. So I thought that uh, was interesting the way Chris said it. The NBA doesn't want to be seen as the first of the leagues to have this spreading through, you know crowds or patrons or players or anybody else it's you know part of me laughs about the the media thing and and not that i mind i don't care how far away the media is from players it makes it it really we're going to get the sound in the post game regardless and and we'll get you taken care of that but it's so funny that that's where the nba goes to to look like they're doing something because they're (laughs) certainly not going to move those uh those fans that are sitting on the front row that are right next to these players on the bench and when they're playing, I mean, they're certainly not going to go, okay, we're going to go ahead and eliminate the first four rows of fans. <laughs> I mean, I don't see him doing that. But uh, the the sweaty beat writer, they're going to uh, make Stay sure away. he's uh, six feet away. Listen you know? here, Eric Walden. So, yeah, right. Keep your distance. I'm not I, – I mean, it's fine. They're, they're, they're preparing. But it, it, it is funny that what – is, what is happening? We're getting uh, feedback in our ear there, Austin. Okay, there we go. Sorry, Actually, we just, I thought you. I thought, wow, that, he turned that quick. I bumped a button. I'm well, sorry. All of a sudden, you we, were still on air. We had uh, feedback going in our ear. Was it you in your ear? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it, was, it, was, it was the delay. Actually, oh, was my it? bad. Okay, well, sorry about that. I was, I thought, wow, dude, is what you said so profound that we're hearing <laughs> it again? Right. <laughs> but yeah, it was rather profound. I mean. The, they're publicly doing something by, you know, closing the locker room and that sort of thing. But it is somewhat window dressing, don't you think? 
yeah, I mean, yeah. But it, it doesn't hurt to prepare. And if they're uh, you know going through scenarios where they're going to play games that uh, aren't in front of fans, I mean, I would imagine the situation would have to get somewhat extreme for that to to actually happen. But we just canceled Indian Wells. Well, uh, did you? Uh, we can get into this coming up. But did you see there there was a fan at the BYU Gonzaga game that had tested positive for coronavirus, and so now they've had to alert all the fans that sat around him. Weren't you there, Gordon? Yeah, I was. Oh boy. Gordon, we're going to need you to do the show from a different studio. <laughs> Did they say where that infected fan was sitting? No, but they said no? they've been contacting those they've come in contact with. Right. So I think you're in the it clear. Did, did it say fan? I thought it just said person. Uh, I don't know if it said fan. It's just somebody who Which went to the game. Which that would leave it to anybody in the building that night. Hmm. Who are you sitting next to, Gordon? I bet that was it. Don't come here every two years. I bet it was Jay. Could have been. How are you feeling now? It's kind of it's kind of funny how your tone changed when you realized that this could possibly affect you. Uh, I think they should cancel all the games. <laughs> Just <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know what to think uh, about this. I want people obviously to be safe and healthy, and uh, but uh, it seems as though when I talk to medical folks about it, they they. They want people to take precautions and be careful. But I don't know about the cancellation of entire events or, or, or keeping the fans out of arenas. Have we, have we reached that point? No, no, we haven't. But, the, but that's the point. The NBA is making preparations. We're, yeah, we're certainly not there yet. Well, it's easy to say for somebody who has not uh, had that, or suffered in any way, or had a, a loved one suffer from it. It's easy to sit here and go, "Ah, it's an overreaction." Come on, it's just, it's 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 tough when uh, when that affects you personally. But I'm no doctor, Jim. <laughs> a little Star Trek joke there for you. <laughs>